you met God in the woods, what would you ask them? For the majority of you, it would be one of three questions. First, you would ask, what is the purpose of all this? Then you would ask, who am I? Followed by, what is my purpose in it? And the answer to those questions would be that you're asking the wrong questions. That you're looking for an answer that doesn't exist. And this might be difficult for some of you to understand, to grasp. So we're going to be diving this deep, deep discussion on this over the next several episodes. And it's going to lead into a discussion on Christian theology, which is a topic that I've been wanting to get into for almost a year now. A topic that I've been pondering heavily over the last seven months, almost eight months. And one that I've dove really deep into, personally. I don't believe in finding answers just simply by reading books or listening to podcasts or YouTube videos or any of these things, or pure meditation or thinking. I like to think about this through unthinking, through clearing my mind of preconceived notions. But of course, part of the way to find answers to questions is to embed yourself, if you will, into situations that will lead you to ask the right questions. And so as I spoke to on the episode to Helen Beck several months ago, one of the things that I did is I dove deeply into several different denominations with the different churches. Not because, of course, I wasn't aware of what the Christian idea of God is, of being is, of purpose, but because I wanted different perspectives on it. Because like many of you, I grew up in a Christian church and have fallen away from that and still have no plans of going back into it. But it's important when you're trying to answer deep epistemological questions to learn to find that answer that you seek through direct personal experience and not simply through listening to podcasts or reading books, things like that. Things about that I talk about all the time. Don't just simply choose to accept the answer given to you by someone else, but try to live your life according to a set of criteria that will allow you to find the answer that you seek. Don't begin your experiment with an answer. Perform the experiment and see where the experiment takes you. That's a true scientific method. And we're going to dive quite a bit deeper into this over the next few episodes as I go pretty deep, actually, into Thomas Aquinas. We're going to talk about the five proofs of God, of the existence of God. I think that'll be a really interesting topic because Christian theology is not something that I've gone very deep into. I've stayed mostly to Eastern thought, Eastern ideologies, and kind of kept on diving my toes into some of the more Western philosophical ideas through the Platonic schools, through the Gnostics in particular, etc. Now, I think if I were to meet God in the woods and ask the first question, God would smile. What is the meaning of all this? And this is something that I don't know if Thomas Aquinas really went too deep into, or maybe didn't go into deep enough in his writings about the nature of God. And if you're unfamiliar with Aquinas' work, this may mean nothing to you now, so just 
Keep it in the back of your mind. Let it simmer. Finding answers is very much like cooking. Like cooking a nice, robust stew. You can stick that stew in a pressure cooker and cook it You know, within 30, 45 minutes. You'll have a very tasty stew, very tender beef that just melts in your mouth. It'd be delicious if you use the right ingredients. But the proper way to make a stew is to let it simmer for days, sometimes two or three or longer days. And this is the methodology you should use when you approach some of the deepest questions in philosophy and spirituality and religion is don't try to find a quick and easy way out. Don't go listen to the alchemical mind and try to get those answers. Or read some Eckhart Tolle or Alan Watts or the Bible, the Diamond Sutra, any other Bhagavad Gita, whatever you want to read to get those answers. Don't do that. That would simply be like putting the stew in the pressure cooker. You might end up with something that is very tasty and resembles a great stew. But then you don't understand the process of creating that stew. You're simply just throwing ingredients into a pot, pushing a couple of buttons, setting a timer. And when it's ready, you can eat. See, finding answers is a lot like cooking. But through the modern world that insists on us spending more and more time consuming, we have lost the idea, the methodology used to find real, genuine, honest answers. And that's where the difference lies upon actually diving yourself into these personal experiences to find an answer and simply going in, watching a YouTube video or reading a book or going to a sermon, going to the temple or listening to a street preacher in the corner at a park. You might receive some answers, but you won't understand them. And that's why God would smile. Because see, asking what the purpose of all this isn't the right question. Because the only purpose to any of this is for us to determine what that purpose is. It's all a giant interplay, a web of objects colliding with each other. Do you remember from science class, maybe you remember potential energy and kinetic energy? difference being potential energy is energy stored within an object. It's stored there and nothing happens to it until another object impacts on that object and therefore that energy becomes kinetic. It turns into moving energy. It's no longer potential. And that's how this type of self-discovery work works as well. All the answers are already deep inside you. They're within you. All of it. If you're a long-time listener, you know I always end the podcast with you are it, all of it, because that is the truth. That's how you find the real meaningful answers that can generate a true, genuine impact on your life, on your outlook on life, on where you go next. And see, if you simply listen to another authority, what somebody else tells you to do in order to achieve enlightenment, you'll never get there. Because you feel like there's a process that you must undergo in order to achieve it. And you may get to a point where you begin finding more and more answers. And then you realize that you've had the answer all along. So you must undergo the path. 
So, of course, it's very counterintuitive because here I am sitting down telling you there's no purpose to any of it. Don't even bother doing the work because eventually you'll get to a place where you realize there's no work to be done. So quit bugging with it. Leave it alone. And yet you can't do that. You can't do that because you still haven't broke down the barriers that are holding you back from realizing your true potential. From realizing how to turn that potential energy into kinetic energy. From being just a rock on a hill to a rolling tide. That's your purpose. That's the meaning of all this. That's who you are. You are God. You're it. That's really funny when we think about this, though, because if I gave you the answer as I am God, then you would probably immediately turn this podcast off. How dare that guy say that he's God? Who the hell does he think he is? He did some psychedelics, exercises. He did some prayers, some meditation, some yoga, some breathing exercises. He did this, he did that, he did the other. For one month, two months, three months, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, whatever. It doesn't matter. The time's irrelevant. And now he's telling me he's God. He's gone crazy. But then what if I tell you all of this to say that you are God? Then it sounds nice. It sounds poetic. It sounds like I'm giving you some purpose. It makes you feel good. And so you buy into it. This is the difference. And of course, I can go one step further. And I can tell you my mug of coffee is God. And then you think, oh my God, Martin's Martin's been off doing his meditations, probably hanging out in the woods somewhere, taking some psychedelics, and he's gone up really off the deep end now. I was cool with me being God. Not so cool with him being God, but to say that his coffee mug is God, holy moly. But why can't that be the case? What prevents that from being the case? The only thing that prevents it is you. Your opinions, the limits that you've decided to place on objects outside of yourself. And of course, when I say objects, I don't necessarily mean physical objects, just anything outside of yourself. You feel like because an object is inanimate or because it's man-made, that it can't possibly be God. And of course, that's the furthest thing from the truth. And so you continue to seek because you fail to realize the thing that is right in front of you. Many, many months ago, I talked about my hand-focused meditation that I do. And I still do this. I do this almost every day at lunchtime for a few minutes. If you've never heard me talk about it, I'll briefly explain it. It's one of the easiest exercises you can do. It will be extremely awkward at first, but once you get past the awkwardness, you'll begin to see that God is in your hand. Your your hand is all of it. All of existence lies in your hand. And it's the simplest exercise you can possibly do in the world. It requires no training. You simply sit and stare at your hand. Do this for two minutes, three minutes. Do it every day. Do it for weeks at a time. And you'll begin to see. Now, as we get deeper and deeper into each part of the series, and there'll be probably five or six parts of the series, 
before we start diving into Christian theology and we start going over most of the New Testament, and there's a reason for that, because the New Testament is the new covenant, the new pact that mankind and God have made, and so the rules change, and much of what happens in the old pact, the Old Testament, is no longer relevant. There's a new commitment between man and his or her divine self. So we're going to go through these, some of these things and see how it is that many of the things that you may have been raised with are utter and complete fallacies. And that's why I want to start with Thomas Aquinas and the five proofs. Because Aquinas has some really interesting ideas and even though I disagree with a large chunk of Aquinas, I really appreciate the process. And so it's important to see what his thought process is on defining these five proofs for God in the Summa Theologia, the book that they're located in. And what's really interesting about it is the, the deep understanding of the nature of knowledge, of epistemology, in trying to answer the question of whether God exists or not. Now, as I've mentioned before, you can get to a point where that question is not a question. It's without a doubt you have an answer one way or the other. Of course, if you listen regularly, you know my answer. And my answer is without a doubt, yes. But of course, you have to get to that point when you go past looking for the ox and realize the ox doesn't exist at all to begin with. And don't get confused. I'm not saying God doesn't exist. That's not counter to what I just said. Of course, God exists. But it's the way that you find that answer that matters. And in order to do this, you really have to get past all the preconceived notions that you have about the symbols that come out of your mouth to explain God and the nature of their existence. And that's why I want to do this in relation to Christian theology, because when you think of God, the majority of you listening to this being in Western countries, in the United States, in Canada, in the British Isles, in the English-speaking world. But even those outside of the English-speaking world, there's many listeners in Australia and South America, etc. And so, of course, you're very familiar with the idea of God in a Christian sense. The being that lives somewhere up in the clouds, maybe beyond the clouds, maybe somewhere out in space, in this magical realm called heaven, that knows everything, sees everything, hears everything, understands everything, and yet somehow is intrinsically imperfect. And that's a question that I rarely ever see addressed in Western circles. The imperfection of our preconceived notion of God. Because as I mentioned before, there's no reason why a perfect, all-knowing, all-seeing being would care really what you do in any way, sense of the word. That being wouldn't care about good or evil, about Satan or demons, because if that being is pure love and knowledge and existence, then that being also encompasses not just good, but evil, not just love, but hate. That being wouldn't require you to tell him or her or they or it 
anything that you are asking for, that you need. Because that being knows those things. That being is all aware. It's omniscient, omnipresent. And so why would an omniscient, omnipresent being require your faith and dedication? Why would that being require you to not worship other gods before him if he is the one true God? These are questions that rarely get asked and almost never get answered. You might get some circuitous argument about why this is the case. And of course, it makes no sense because here we are still with the same worldview. And so, of course, if I met God in the woods, the first thing God would say to me, if I asked, who am I? They would say, I am you. And this is not a crazy outlandish idea. This is embedded in Christian ideology but no one pays attention to it. There's a passage in the Bible where the Israelites, the Jews, are ready to stone Jesus for claiming that he's God. And he says, I, I told you, but you, you didn't believe me. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. And then he turns it around and says, this is in your scriptures. You're telling me I'm crazy, that I'm blasphemous for telling you these things. But it says it in the scriptures. It says, It is not written in your law, I have said you are gods. If you call them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me as blasphemy because I said I am God's son? You can read this in John it's chapter 10. I think it's verse 34. And that's, of course, a direct reference to Psalms, something that Jesus did quite often. He retold a lot of the Old Testament sayings in a new way, in a new light, with a new understanding of the nature of God. And if you go to Psalms 82, verse 6, it says, I have said, you are gods. You are all the sons of the Most High. So it wasn't blasphemous. This is already in Scripture. But see, the problem is that most people don't read Scripture. They don't understand Scripture. They don't want to understand scripture. This is the true nature of God. God is so infinite and powerful that God can deceive himself or herself into believing he is not God. And see, all these people wanted to stone Jesus because they didn't want to understand that they were God. They were angry because, probably subconsciously, Jesus realized these things. Jesus realized we're all God. And they were mad because they could not realize that. They did not have the ability to understand it. They couldn't understand it. And so they were angry because somebody else did. Now, of course, not on purpose. We shouldn't hate these people because they wanted to stone Jesus or because they end up crucifying him. Because if it wasn't for the crucifixion, we wouldn't have a lot of the things that kind of make up the core of Christianity, which is the belief in the resurrection. And the fact that Jesus gave his life for the rest of us. Of course, you don't have to believe these things. If you're not Christian, you don't need to believe it. It might just be a cool story that you listen to. But that was the purpose that he had. In order to try to open the eyes of those who could not see into understanding these things. And so I'm not here to turn Christianity into something else. I'm not here to try to fit Christianity into my own personal belief system, I really don't care. I don't care if you believe a word that I say. I don't care if you agree with me. This is the path that my own understanding has taken me in. 
Because like I said, like you, many of you, I grew up in the Christian church. What denomination is irrelevant? And I fell away from it. And for many, many years, I was deeply resentful. Deeply resentful. And I thought that I was resentful of all these things because I felt like I was lied to and that God didn't give a crap. And it took me, we'll say, 10 years of not giving a crap and making fun of people who believed in this kind of thing. And then 10 years of really deep introspective work, particularly within the last two or three years, for me to realize that I wasn't angry at God or church. And I use that just as a proper noun, church, capital C or mad at Jesus or an angel or something. Again, I realized my anger stemmed more from the corruption of the words that were presented. And that's where the lie was, you see. But it wasn't a purposeful lie. It wasn't like someone was lying to keep me in control, right, from realizing my true potential. It's that I was angry because I did not put the work in myself that I chose not to understand. And for some time, that made me even angrier because I wasted 10 years of my life making fun of these ideas, of talking about how preposterous it would be for any of these things to be true. But see, when I broke it down to basics, when I embedded myself into these ideas and tried to understand them from the original source, and not from the you know 2,000 years of plain telephone that I really understood. And like I said, I this year attempted to go to several churches. I attended a few services. And sure, you can't really make up your mind about any of these things purely based on uh, you know a few hours, a few dozen hours, say, of experimentation. But those few dozen hours were a really interesting test in me understanding the things that I found to be inherently true and false. And sometimes I'd go somewhere, right, and spend an hour there, and I'm like, man, this is great. I learned so much. I hadn't heard it put this way. And then I go the next week, and I hear something else, and I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't think about that either. And the third week comes around, and I hear something about, you know, whatever it is. God hates gays. And I'm like, whoa, you just ruined all of it. God doesn't hate anybody. The nature of God is pure love. And if God created all things, then why would God create something he hates? That, of course, leads us into the fallacy of <laughs> good and evil. And that's a, that's a really tough pill to swallow, right? My wife loves listening to a true crime podcasts, for example. And she loves reading books about serial killers and this, that, and the other. It's not atypical. A lot of people love this, right? It's one of the more popular genres on uh, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I guess it's called now. True crime podcast. Big money. Big business. And you get, of course, different perspectives on different people based on who is speaking, based on their own personal experience that led them to create a worldview that kind of leans one way or another, depending on what the crime was, what the person's background was, etc., and so, of course, if you enjoy listening to these kind of stories, and really that's all they are, is their stories, there may be some truth interspersed in there. 
but you have no way to prove that, right? Just like you have no way to prove that Jesus was real or let's go somebody maybe within the last 50 years, maybe Hitler. You don't know if Hitler was real. You may have seen videos of him. You may have heard speeches, this and the other, read about him in books. But all you have are stories, right? That's how history works. History is just a connecting string of disparate stories. So if you love listening to true crime podcasts, you might say, God, this guy was so evil. He, uh, he ate 20 people. Or he murdered 37 women. Or, you know, he was a child abuser. Pure evil. This shows, this proves how much evil is in the world. And see, it might be a really tough pill to swallow if I tell you that those things are not evil. Some of you may try to psychoanalyze me and say, my God, Martin doesn't think this uh, cannibal's evil. He must be a sociopath. Maybe Martin's a serial killer. But see, then again, you'd be asking the wrong questions. You're creating a story. You're writing your own story. Creating your own myth. You've never met me before. All you know about me is the things that I talk about on this podcast. And of course, this might be an argument for some of the atheists to say, well, this is why God doesn't exist. If an all-knowing, all-powerful being that was pure good and love and peace existed, then that being wouldn't allow the things that happen in the world to happen. It wouldn't allow for homicides and robberies and heists, carjackings, kidnappings, rapes, and murders. And so that's definite proof that God doesn't exist, to which I would reply that it's the complete opposite. Because if those things did not exist, then how would you know the abundance of God's love? A love so complete, so all-encompassing, that anyone, including a serial killer, could repent and enter the kingdom of heaven. Because that's all that's required. Go read the Bible if you don't believe me. That's all that's required. True and honest repentance. And sometimes people that have gone to prison for whatever, let's say murder, and find the grace of God and repent for what they have done, they feel God's love and they get out of prison. And someone says, oh, great. You love God. I love God too. What church do you go to? Cool. You start talking about it. And then somehow it comes up that this person was in prison, in prison for murder. And all of a sudden, your, your tone changes. Your ideas about this person change. You begin to create a story. You impart your own imagination onto this person's background and say, how could this be? How could God accept this person? And if that's the reasoning you have in your mind, then you don't understand the full, infinite power of absolute, complete, and utter love. You don't understand it. Because you're hindered by something that happened in the past. Some story that you know nothing about. And that's a very tough pill to swallow. To be able to unconditionally love another as you love yourself. Isn't that one of the commandments? Love your brother as you know yourself? Not the Ten Commandments, of course. But Jesus simplified it all. Love your brother as you love yourself. Are you able to do that? Because if you can't, then you don't understand the nature of God. You're stuck in a worldview that's 5,000 years old. 
That's not the world that we live in now. The world that we live in is constantly changing. It's got the nature of water, as the Buddhists say. What's the nature of water? Water has no shape, no form. It's just an amorphous blob. It takes the shape of whatever container it's placed in. This is the way your mind needs to work. Mind like water. You need to be a living, breathing, scientific experiment. But in order to do that, you need to understand that what that means. It means that you perform your experiment, and when the outcome is one way, and you expected a different outcome, you don't disregard it and perform the experiment again and again and again until you get the answer that you want. It means you accept the answer, you incorporate it into yourself, and you move on to the next thing. And then the next experiment comes along, the next experience, the next book, the next person, the next idea of God, and you test that against what you learned in the first place. And if you find the answer is completely different, then that means your original experiment doesn't hold true. This is true science. Spirituality isn't some airy, flaky thing, some hippy-dippy thing, where everyone loves each other and is connected. That's not spirituality. That's bullshit. Spirituality is knowing the difference between one and the other. You know, one of the Catholic prayers is the serenity prayer. You might not know it by that name, but I'm sure you've heard it. Even if you're not Catholic, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as a pathway to peace, taking as he did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. That's understanding divinity. That's understanding God. That's understanding spirituality and religion and philosophy. These things are not separate from each other. You're not finding the answers that you seek because you think some methods are just pure bullshit and you leave them alone. You never touch them. You never experiment them. You never play with them. Life is a game. Life is a game. Life is an eternal game. And you can't win it because there is no winning it. You live now. So the purpose of the game is simply to play it, not to win it. The purpose is simply to play it, not to win it. And the sooner you realize it, the sooner you have the answers that you seek. Because you already have those answers. See, that's the difference. When you get in the way of finding the answers, you never find them. Because when you find the one answer, you keep going for the next one and the next one and the next one. That's the problem with modern science, for example. You find the atom. Well, what's the atom made of? Protons, neutrons, and electrons. Okay, well, what are those made out of? Up quarks and down quarks and strange quarks. These aren't made-up names. These are actual names of particles. What about those? Strings or dots or whatever. And you keep going all the way down, all the way up. Turtles. Turtles, turtles everywhere. And that's the key part that Aquinas got right. Because he understood at some point you can't just have turtles all the way down. At some point, there has to be something to set it all in motion. And you may never realize, understand, know how that thing came into existence or non-existence. How it went from potential energy to kinetic energy. You may never understand that. And you have to be okay with that. You need to understand that. That's the most important part of spiritual work. Is that at the deepest, deepest level... The more answers that you find, the more questions that you have.
And the only way those questions will be answered is if you quit asking what the question is. And then you'll begin to get the answers that you seek. Then you realize why this, how you, and where you're going. And so when you meet God in the woods, you simply smile. And you say, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. But if God doth clothe the words of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Be not therefore anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? And where shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. Yet your heavenly Father knows that you need of all these things. You have that old saying, Seeking you shall receive. And I'm just here to tell you, when you quit seeking, you'll find it all. All right, we're going to wrap this episode up here. I want to thank you all for listening. The next couple episodes will be Thomas Aquinas. We're going to go really in-depth about these five proofs because they're fascinating. And again, I don't entirely agree, so we're going to break them down. So we try to get a really interesting perspective, a Christian perspective on the nature of God. And I'm going to be maybe a little critical of, of the methodology, of, of the answers that are found. But there's a lot to learn there, and that's important, to learn a way to differentiate those things which can be true and must be true. So if you want to get in touch, Twitter is going to be the best place, at MindAlchemical. I'm not very active, but uh, I do check them every so often. I'm, uh, I'm actually in a little bit of a Twitter hiatus on my own personal Twitter account. I'm, uh, I'm gone for the next year. It's something that I'll, I'll discuss in the future. I want to get through some of this stuff first. But uh, we'll talk about why I'm taking a year off of Twitter. Uh, although I will be checking the podcast Twitter account. Uh, maybe, you know, every couple of weeks or so. But uh, so that'll be a good place to reach me. The best place to reach me is actually email. So martin at the alchemical mind is where you can find me. And uh, I'll be happy to reply to anybody that wants to have a conversation about any of these things. We're going to go deep. And some of the things that I say, many of you may not like, and that's okay. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash mindalchemical. Or that's not it. Patreon.com slash mind, And uh, you can support the show there. Um, I used to have uh, extra content and such. I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, this is uh, something that I'm doing out of the love of my heart. It's something that I'm very passionate about. And uh, I know some of you have asked questions. Have I, have I lost a passion? Am I still doing the podcast? Yes, of course. Of course. How could I lose my passion for being? Of course. I'll continue doing the podcast. I mean, it often uh, you know, be weekly like I used to be. But that's because when I do an episode, I want to make sure that I really put... 200% into it. You know, when I do these podcasts, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't have notes. Um, you know, I, I might think about it for a few minutes before I hit the record button, but, uh, that's especially true now that, uh, that I'm not recording on a regular schedule because I think the, the best way to share some of these ideas is not to spend too much time on them. 
You know, it's not like I sit in my backyard. I know you can probably hear the uh, crickets in the back. Uh, I've got my window open in my office here. It's beautiful outside. So I don't, uh, you know, I don't sit in my backyard and uh, think about what I'm going to talk about for hours or, or weeks on end. I, I, I don't want anyone to get that idea. But uh, but I do ask myself questions and uh, just kind of let those answers arise. Because I know that I'm it, you see. So all I need to do is ask, and what I ask shall be given. It's simple. So simple, it's fucking... It's really profound how simple it is. But anyways, I'll leave it here. Because uh, this is going to be a series, uh, they, they will be coming out regularly, so expect the next episode within the next two or three days. And uh, that's going to be it. Thank you for listening. And of course, as always, remember that you are it. All of it.